Well, good morning and welcome to the Men's Leadership Network. I'm glad you guys could make it this morning. Special welcome to all the satellite locations, meeting in offices all around Williamson County, Davidson County. We're glad you guys could be here too. I want to do a quick reminder, if you guys have questions today during our interview period uh, for Drew or for Jeff, you can text those in, you can tweet those in, you can email them in or chat those in from your live uh, satellite location. So uh, with that, I'm, it's my pleasure today to introduce Drew Maddox. He's the head basketball coach at CPA, Christ Presbyterian Academy. Many of you know Drew or have followed Drew's career. He played four years at Vanderbilt, basketball at Vanderbilt. While, he's, while he was there, some of the awards on his resume include All-SEC Freshman, USA Olympic Festival Team, First Team All-SEC, Honorable Mention All-American Honors, Academic all SEC and outstanding young men of America. So quite the resume as a player at Vanderbilt. Uh, but right now what he's doing at CPA and working with some of these kids, mentoring other men in the community is really what we're interested in talking about today. So uh, uh, Drew lives in Nashville with his wife, Tara. They have three daughters, Emma, Ava, Sarah James, and sons, Patrick and Nicholas. Uh, so I'm excited to welcome Drew Maddox today as we talk about raising kids in sports. Please welcome Drew Maddox. Thank you. Uh, Drew, so glad you're here. Thanks no, so thank much, you, man. Drew. Appreciate thank it. You. Hey, tell us a little bit about your family yeah. and just kind of your career and the path that God's had you on. First of all, before I do that, I, I have to say thank you for having me. Oh. I mean, what an honor it is to be sitting here with you. Obviously heard wonderful things about what the church is doing here and Jeff, just your ministry. Great friends like Jason Holwerda and Austin Castleman just continue to, up, I know, amazing men and just what God's doing in their family. But thank you for all that you're doing in the lives of so many people and just saying yes, that uh, God would call you forth to this ministry and what you've done. So thank you for having me, first of all. And, and just secondly, yeah, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. I get, I get to do so many wonderful things professionally, but ultimately it always comes back to who I go home to at night. And so that's kind of um, the way that I view the world, the paradigm by which I view the world is through my family's eyes and I have a wonderful uh, wife Tara mm-hmm. 17 years of marriage we celebrated last Saturday um, and, and five wonderful children Emma's uh, we entered the high school age this year so that's that's uh, new at our, our house uh, Ava entered middle school and all the challenges that that presents uh, Sarah James is in third grade and and then my two little my two little guys that are actually they're beasts. I mean, they're huge in first grade, Patrick and Nicholas, and uh, just what a delight it is to, uh, to get to do life with, with all of those special um, uh, kids and, and obviously a special woman in Tara. I love it. I love it. Tell us a little bit about uh, your journey, because, you know, hearing all of what Thomas was saying, you know, I mean, you were a great basketball player, yeah. played at Vandy, and, and then kind of how did God lead you to coaching? I mean, you, yeah. you've been on this route, you know, it's awesome to see. Yeah, you know, at an at a early age, um, when I was five and six years old, Jeff, I can remember um, my, my father was a junior pro basketball coach. I had an older brother that's two years older. And so as most fathers do, he just jumped into coaching. My dad was a great basketball player at Vanderbilt as well. Wow. And in fact, my grandfather played at Vanderbilt. No and way. so it was kind of in our family and just exposed at an early age to athletics. And we played everything in those years. But I remember at five and six years old, just I knew I was different. Um, I knew I could play basketball. I just could do it. Um, uh, even against my brother's friends are two years older than me and, and three years older than me. And, and just the game came easy to me. I could, I could do things that, that they couldn't do. And 
I, I, I don't know why I was given that gift, but I was. And so I can remember going and playing at Westington Elementary School in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and where I grew up and, and scoring, you know, at an early age, a lot of baskets and, and making a lot of plays. And just as I continue to move up, while all of that was great, it also set up um, the way that I felt every day and the way I viewed the world. I was bound up. My heart was tied to my performance, even on Saturday mornings, to how I performed on a basketball court. Um, at an early, early age. And so I, I continued to progress. I was, I was fortunate enough to have a great, great career in high school at Good Pasture Christian School. I was recruited by um, a lot of great schools, but it was just in my blood that I would go to Vanderbilt. I had no choice. Um, Austin loves this story. Indiana was one of my final choices for school. And I remember walking out of Bobby Knight's office and uh, my dad just looking at me saying, Nope, that's not where you're going to go. I was like, Dad, dude, you, that's Bobby Knight. Like, really, you know, I, I, you know that, he's a legend. And yeah, he's like, yeah. no, that's not where we're going, you know. But um, wow. so I went on to Vanderbilt, had a wonderful career there, and just got to do some amazing things, play with great people. But I uh, jumped into the workforce from there. I didn't study to be a coach. I didn't intend to be a coach. Mm. Um, jumped into the healthcare world and was pursuing kind of a professional track. Um, and then God told me, clearly called um, uh, to me that um, he had a different opportunity for me and uh, he had wired me and built me for something um, with eternal uh, value tied to it and um, and so I said yes uh, to the opportunity at CPA uh, 10 years ago and so here I am a decade into this ministry and it's just been an amazing journey I love that I love it what's what if you were to look back just tell us what's your greatest moment in sports what's your what's your highlight if you were to look back if we're talking about just seeing success. Yeah. Okay, so um, I would have to say, you know, unfortunately, my senior year, my last high school basketball game in 1994, um, I, had a dear, I have a dear friend named Ron Mercer. He and I yeah. played high school basketball he together. He's a decent yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a decent player. <laughs> um, we lost in the state championship in overtime. Um, to what many people probably still say to this day is one of the, um, the greatest upsets, you know, maybe in high school basketball. And so um, I remember that in 1994, I get back into coaching. And if you're just talking about seeing world success, just mm-hmm. in terms of a moment that I think about all the years at Vanderbilt that were so wonderful. And I could talk about playing memories and all those experiences, but the locker room walking out at Murphy Center in 2012 after we won our first state championship. Um, I've never seen a group of young men um, that had totally bought into the concept of being selfless, that had totally bought into the concept of being others focused, that had bought into this culture that they were gonna think about others before themselves. And then the payoff was walking out of there as a state champion. It was just an amazing experience. Wow, I love that. Gotta get some chills, that's great. (laughs) Well, talk talk a little bit about that because you and I were having some conversations offline about transactional versus transformation, you know? And and talk about that just in coaching, but I think for all of us in, in our lives as as dads or in our workplace, yeah. you know, those, that's a huge concept. Talk about that. Yeah, so sort of my mission statement that I live by, and I've kind of instilled it um, within our CPA athletic program is 2 Corinthians 4.18. Mm-hmm. And if you know that verse, you know it says, so I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Mm-hmm. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we literally built the entire program based on that verse, wow. that we were gonna be totally focused on being in relationship, Uh, with God and others. Mm -hmm. We were going to think about others before ourselves. And we wanted to 
understand what it meant to be a part of a cause bigger than ourselves. That ultimately, that's how God made man. Mm-hmm. You were wired. You have that deep within your soul to live life that way. That, that's when you come to life, and that's where you really get to experience all that God has for you. But, you know, the culture is so strong and so prevalent, mm-hmm. and for so long, I had bought in to kind of the myths of masculinity that we talk about at school. And so we talk about this with all of our young men, that the world and the culture with the messaging and the way that they uh, pour out this message on the lives of our kids is it begins really early that they bind to this lie that somehow how I perform on a ball field at an early age somehow makes me more of a man than you, Jeff. Mm. And then as I move into my teenage years, that the um, the bedroom defines me. What girl I date, uh, my sexual conquest, you know, what, what, girl, what I can get a girl to do for me, that somehow that makes me more of a man than you. And then ultimately when you get to, you know, the men in this room and, and you're in our age, uh, the boardroom uh, defines you, you know, somehow that economic gain or, or success or power or status or what title you carry at work somehow that makes me more of a man than you. And so we try to break down those myths that, you know, the, the, the ball field, the bedroom and the boardroom uh, do not define you. Mm. That's not what your identity is grounded in, but really your identity is grounded in that God made you unique, that you, your story matters. Your story is, is going to be leveraged in God's bigger story and that you play a lead role and you are the star in that role. And we try to really pour into the young men to call forth those strengths and those gift sets um, as they exist within a culture that's built on relationship and a cause. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> that just fires me yeah. up, you know? And it's a struggle. I mean, talk about how you saw, you know, sports. We're talking about raising kids yeah. even in sports today, but how, how has sports changed from when you were playing or, you know, when a lot of us were playing or to where kids are, the things they're facing today in today's culture and today's sports world. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think sports today is the, is the golden calf in our society. Mm, you wow, know, I, wow. I, I really do tie it to that level of, of, of height for me and, and weight for me, because I think for some reason, you know, the culture and a lot of it is just the money tied to it. Mm. Obviously you're talking about billions of dollars of industry surrounding sport. Um, and it's stripping away from professional sport and collegiate sport. Let's just talk about youth sports for a second. You know, the numbers will tell you that about 40 million kids will play youth sports this year. Another 10 million will play, um, interscholastic sports at the high school level. So that's 50 million kids from age six to 18 will be involved in sport. Now you tie parental value to it. And so you have either one to two parent per child hooked to that. So you're talking about hundreds of millions of people. Then you talk about coaches that are involved. There's about 5 million coaches that will be involved in youth sports age 6 to 18. So really it's become the secular religion in our culture today. And so you tie a dollar value to it, youth sports itself. Just what happens out here on a soccer field or in a gymnasium in a wise become a billion dollar industry. And so we have just skewed it and we have screwed it up for kids, uh, to be honest, because somehow the way that Emma performs as a 12 year old on a basketball court somehow makes me as her father feel better about myself um, as it relates, as I compare and compete and try to build up my worth and my status amongst my peer group. And so um, I, I just think it's become tragic. And so what you're starting to see, Jeff, is what, what has really changed, what, back to your question, is specialization. Mm. You know, th- that at an early age, we're starting to see, especially from age six to 10. So we're talking about kindergartners to third graders already picking a sport 
making it a year-round sport, specializing in that sport and pouring everything into that to chase, you know, the lottery ticket when, when they get to be 18 or 22 years old. Wow. And so their whole world revolves around it. Their whole worth revolves around it. And so it just builds up um, this, this, this value set that is really skewed and not built with the proper foundation of, hey man, go, go play every sport. Go experience everything that God has for you that you can pick and uh, experience from all of those aspects. I played every sport growing up. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be um, blessed to get to play collegiate basketball, but I played every sport that there was to offer up until I was in high school. You know, that go experience that. Teach them that they can have fun and freedom within that experience, mm-hmm. that they can be in great relationship and get different experiences from the different sports and the different aspects. So the big change that we've seen is that shift to specialization at an early age mm-hmm. because we're chasing, you know, that, that, that lottery ticket or that golden cap at the end of the tunnel. Wow. How do we, as dads, or how do we as parents, you know, how do we fight against that? I mean, it, it seems like it is this golden calf. I yep. love that illustration. Just uh, everybody's running after it, and, and yep. it's so easy for us, even as, as believers, but we're called to be spiritual leaders. How do we fight against that culture, that change, and, and help our kids become mature in Christ? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it starts right here. I mean, just yeah. being in this room, it's amazing. Yeah. Just at 6, 6.30 in the morning, <laughs> this room has this many people that, you know, that we are all in this together. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a coalition yeah. of dads, of men, of business leaders, of civic leaders, of coaches that we are, we are raising up. And, that, and, and <clears throat> you know, I think to me, what I think about, I think about the things that my dad did in my life. Mm-hmm. So that's where I always go back to. And I think about even what, what, his leadership example was, was his father and the way that my, my grandfather had great empathy and he had great love and he encouraged my dad so very much. But ultimately, he got his model of leadership for living from Jesus Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And that became generational and how it passed down and through the Maddox men. And so um, the question being, how do, what do we do? Mm-hmm. You love, mm-hmm. you encourage, you pat them on the back, you hug them, you tell them great job, you encourage effort. You talk about those elements and you don't define for one second their self-worth as you get in that car um, tied to anything that dealt with their performance on that field. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they won or lost the game, whether they scored two points or whether they, they scored 30 points, uh, whether they scored two touchdowns or whether they um, didn't do anything at all. You just constantly build up and you talk about their role their unique aspect that they bring to the team um, and, and you talk about effort and you talk about attitude and you build them up in those elements and you do not tie it to performance because what you're going to see is um, a group of men that, are, that have bought into the lie that somehow their worth is tied to how they perform and that starts at a very early age. Wow. That, that's huge. Mm. And, and it's hard. I mean, it's, ta- it's difficult because yes. it seems like everything is... It goes that direction, you know, you want to see the spreadsheet, you want to see the stat sheets, you want to, you know, and we measure everything that way and to, and to help our kids know that's, that's not your worth and your value. It's who you are in Christ, you know, yeah. and that's our call as, as dads. You know, I, I, a couple of years ago, I stopped even putting up um, stat sheets in, uh, in and around, I'm, I'm an analytics guy, I love numbers, I measure numbers, I think data does set forth a lot of strategy, and so I like to know the data elements within it. But as it related to our performance, I stopped allowing our kids to even know 
um, you know, within our program, uh, points, field goal percentages, all those kind of things. We rarely ever talk about wins and losses. We never ever would use the term, this is a must win game. You know, anything like, we don't want anything to prohibit freedom from them going to be all that God's called them to be. Mm. How do you, I mean, I love your passion for Christ, you know, first and foremost. And I think about growing up and, and uh, you know, I had a, some good coaches, but I had some coaches that were just, you know, Bobby Knight, you know, yeah. you watch out for the chair. You yeah. know? It's like, uh, so how, how has Christ impacted your coaching style? And what do you see as you lead out spiritually with your kids, how they respond? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we built the, the program on four words. Um, and it's taken from Mark 12. Hmm. And when Jesus was asked, you know, the greatest commandment um, by the religious leaders of his time, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we stripped it all down to four words that we built the program on as a foundational element. And our our program's built on the four words of being Christ-centered and others focused. And I believe ultimately that's what Jesus taught, you know, the the 12 that he was called. Because really when you strip it away, Jesus was invested in those 12. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything that he did was pouring into them because he had a vision for them and their unique story it was going to be leveraged once he was gone. Mm-hmm. And so he was a coach at, at the core of who Jesus was. He was a coach. Mm-hmm. He was constantly coaching them uh, to think eternal, to think bigger, to go to the next level. And so he was trying to change their mindset. And so as it relates back to what we do, everything is built on that vision that um, Ultimately, we're trying to change the mindset of everybody in that room that, yeah, we're going to coach the group, but we're going to ground it back to being person-centered at the same time. And that Jesus had that unique ability to talk to the masses, but you could feel like even when you read scripture today that he's talking exactly to where you are and meeting you at your need set. And so that's ultimately what we're trying to do every day. We fail at that, of course, um, but, but that's what we're trying to do. Um, but I think, you know, Mark 9 said it best too, that, that Jesus said, to be first, you got to be last mm-hmm. and a servant to all. So I never want to picture myself as that coach that's up on the podium, you know, dictating out. I want to be um, that, that servant leader that's on their level, that, that, is, that is locked in arms with them. And I want them to see that, that you can have accountability and responsibility within that culture, but we can do it in a different way than, than, than a dictator model like a, like a Bobby Knight would, would be. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, Drew, how as dads, as parents, you know, a lot of us end up coaching, you know, soccer, or we end up coaching you know, our kids in, in different ways. How do we encourage and um, help develop them? And then also, how do we relate to coaches and other parents in a way that's healthy and godly uh, to point back to Christ? Yeah, you know, we, we always, there's different things that you can do. I mean, both, and I, I would love to have, if you had coaches that were interested, I'd love to have a conversation with them. I'll offer that to anybody yeah. here. If they're coaching youth sports and they're scratching their head saying, look, I, I'm just trying to keep it together. You know, I, I would love to have those conversations, so I'll offer that up. But, awesome. you know, I, I, I just think... Um, First of all, I'm very thankful that we have dads that volunteer, um, that want to be present. As I told you, my story was uh, my father, I can't remember a time in my life, even to this day, he's text messaging me last night. We still talk every day. Um, I can't remember a time in my life my dad wasn't present. And I was amazed at watching. He's a big man. He's 6'8". Um, you know, he was a great 
post presence for Vanderbilt, but he is a gentle giant. And the way that he loved kids, and he coached everything. And he didn't know baseball necessarily, or football, or, or soccer, but he was out there just doing the best he could loving kids. You know, I, I, I just want dads to understand, if you're volunteering and you're coaching, God's giving you that platform. And that's providential for such a time as this. Mm. And to use that aspect, whether you're coaching sixth grade soccer, three on three, or you're coaching at the highest level of college or any point in between, that God has given you that platform to connect, to instill in them that their worth isn't tied to performance, Mm. to release them from that bondage, to release that for them, that they can live a life that is free, that can be empowering, that can be abundant, Mm. and that they can pursue all that God's called them to. And the last thing I would say is this, is that, that, that they would understand that their story matters. Wow. Whether, once again, if you're the star on the team or you're the last player off the bench, that your story matters, that you are contributing something that this team is better for because you're a part of it mm-hmm. and getting them to operate within that so that they can go out to society and start to have that same mindset. That's awesome. Man, I love your passion. Yeah. I'm ready to go play. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I love to play for you. You know, one awesome. of the unique things we do, we, we don't do tryouts. I don't cut, I don't cut young men. Uh-huh. If they want to be a part of our team, then I allow them to be on our team. And so, you know, it used to be funny. So we've been fortunate to have some highly recruitable athletes. We've had the last four uh, Mr. Basketballs and we have multiple guys playing collegiately right now. But uh, when, when Rick Pitino and John Calipari and those guys would come to our practice, they would say, uh, you know, Drew, is, is the middle school practicing with you guys today? I'd be, no, coach. Let me tell you a little bit about our program and our approach. We don't do cuts. We do no trials. Say, what do you mean you don't do trials? Saying, yeah, we don't, we don't do trials. We believe if, if God has put in your heart that you want to be a part of CPA basketball, then come on and be a part of it. And we're going to find a role and we're going to find a spot for you that you'll be empowered to, uh, to go make a difference in the hallways and in the classroom. Wow. Calipari does that too, right? Same same philosophy. (laughs) Wow. I love that. Tell me, I mean, how do you keep Christ first? You got, I mean, busy schedule, right? And, you know, how do you keep Christ first in your family, your career? Just how do you keep him first? It's hard. Hmm. I mean, just to be be honest, and it's something I I struggle with. Um, It's something that I, I, you know, I I wake up every morning and the first thing that I do is, is just start on my knees in prayer. I mean, regardless of what time, and, and I'll say it again, Austin's in the, in the audience, but you know, we play basketball very early on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so my alarm uh, usually would go off at 4.45, and so I always back up whatever it is, 15 minutes, and, and make sure I start off that way wow. before I even start. So if it's 4.45, I gotta get up. I'm, I'm pretty disciplined guy, so I, I, I'm kinda wired that way, kinda OCD. So I, I try to make sure that then it's 4.30 that I'm gonna start. So I, I try to start off that way. I fail at that, you know, but like yesterday, I sent a text to all the CPA basketball alumni on my phone, and I prayed specifically for 47 players that had come through that program, uh, just because God had put it on my heart to pray for them yesterday. Um, so that, that's just an example. I try to be personally just disciplined in that. But you know what? I had um, a dad that showed me what it meant mm. to be a, a Christian man, to be a father, to wear the hat of being a business leader, to be a civic leader, to have a role in the church, um, and, and just to be a great encourager to everybody he connect with. And, and so I always saw that as, a, as an example. And so my, my kind of personal mission statement is this, that um, I want to pick up the trash. And what that means is I want to leave people, places, and things better 
than the way that I found them. So that if we came together in an interaction, ultimately you're leaving encouraged and you're better because we had connected and I'm better for it as well. And so I just try to, every environment, every interaction, every relationship that I go through in the day, I just want to be that kind of person that the person feels better after we have intersected because, you know, God providentially brought us together. And so that's how I live my life. So I'm just looking for those opportunities all day long. It's all I do. So if you ask me like, what's my role at school? Yeah, I have this, this title, but really all I want to do is, is pick up the trash all day long and leave people in places better. That's awesome. Well, what advice would you give like for us as, as dads at, at home, but then also in, in our workplace and how do we keep Christ first? I mean, how do we do that in all the demands that we have? Surround yourself, first of all, with, with people that are on the, the same mission that you are. Mm. You know, I think it's, it's, there's something about being on a team. We learn about being on a team. This is, this is an unbelievable step. What you guys are doing here that, you know, this is a men's network that people feel safe, that dads feel safe, that men feel safe to be a part of because I think you've got to have accountability and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you've got to be a part of the church body. I think there's something, you know, that, that, that is obviously biblical, mm. that you've got to be a part of something bigger than yourself and you've got to roll your sleeves up and get invested in that. You got to serve. You got to find places that you feel comfortable doing that, that your gift sets can be leveraged for the good of the body. Um, And you got to understand what it means to serve and and you got to be a part of groups like that. And then I think, you know, it also starts with personal discipline. Lastly, I I think there's personal disciplines. And I heard preachers say that for a year and I was so bad at that. I'm so busy. Yeah, yeah, you're talking to everybody else in the room, but but I'm too busy for that. And and then I finally woke up about uh, five or six years ago and just realized, you know, how can I say I'm so busy that I can do all these other aspects? I can, I can look at Twitter and Instagram and turn on ESPN, and, but yet, you know, I can't get hungry and thirsty for the word. And, and it, just, it just hit me cold. And so back to it, I try to be personally disciplined and grounded that fif- at least 15 minutes, I start every day that way. I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, as a church, we're taking a 40-day challenge to live like that's Jesus. Awesome. And, and, you know, it, it, that's what we're just saying. For 40 days, can you commit to spending yeah. time with the Lord? You know, putting Him first. And then that becomes a habit, right? Yes. And, and you see that discipline being played out in your life, you know, because I believe that legacy is built day in and day out, right? Now, I, you know, and... The, I fall short of it every day. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I grew up. Praise um, God for grace. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I didn't really understand that element because for so long I would beat myself up because I, I never could live up to what I felt like God was calling me to. So I, I had a very uh, legalistic approach to it. And so wow. I, until I really began to understand that, that God's grace and mercy is new every day and it's mm. extended and I can wake up, I have a fresh cup of it waiting on me. Mm. Regardless of what happened yesterday, regardless of what's coming tomorrow, that today, you know, God has extended that to me through his son. And um, I never really understood that. Mm. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I really had a friend that began to walk with me through that, a guy named Randy Heron that I walk with. I, I have a personal kind of counselor or coach. And he walked every Thursday morning, we meet and we, we journal and we talk and we pray. And I still have that personal coach that I meet with that I'm accountable to every day as well. I love that. I love that. Well, and you talked about your dad pouring into you. And, and, and for, for a lot of us, we've had godly examples, but maybe for some, there hasn't been. Yeah. But I love how you said, you know, this is our time, right? For such a time as this. Absolutely. And uh, so, so talk about that. What would, how would you encourage us as dads, how would you encourage us when it, not just sports, but life, what would you say, hey, if you're going to invest in, invest in this? 
you know, I, I think one, it starts with your, with your time with the Lord, but I, I think it starts to change your paradigm by which you view the world mm. for so long that my paradigm was success somehow would dictate happiness. And, you know, I found myself that as much success as I was having, whether it was in the business world or whatever was happening, that it still was unfulfilled, yeah. you know, that I, that I never could um, quite fill that void that was in my heart. And that I began to understand that, um, you know, God had called me to something that was unique just for me. He had a purpose and a plan for me. And that was going to be played out through the paradigm by which I viewed the world. And that was uh, through relationship, who I was surrounding myself with, Mm -hmm. who I was investing in, who was investing in me, what was I investing my mind and my heart in. Um, And then ultimately being a part of a cause bigger myself, I come back to it. And that's what we teach our kids, but it's biblical, you know, that they get to understand that I needed to be a part of something bigger, whether that was at my church, Mm. whether that's at your home, Mm. whether that's in your community, whatever that looks like for you, you have a specific and unique talent and gift set. And just say yes to God calling you uh, to, be, to be leveraged for his glory, to advance his kingdom here on this earth. It's that power of that yes, right? But God called you to coach and you were probably like... I was like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no way. You know, I'm, I, I still remember sitting in the Atlanta uh, Marriott downtown and, and the company, we, we were really doing well. And I'd, I'd been blessed to have some success. And I remember sitting with our CEO in the Atlanta Marriott in, in uh, Atlanta. And they had just named me junior CEO. I was going to learn basically for one year, I was going to get to shadow him to learn what it meant to be the CEO of a publicly traded company. We, we, we were doing wonderful things in those days. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, you know, Andy, I, I think God's calling me to, to coach high school basketball. And I remember him about choking on his oatmeal, like, do you not realize what you have? You have the golden ticket. You have all that the world would say, stock options, and you've, you know, accumulated this status within our, within our company. You're, you're 29 years old, and, and look at what is going on. And I said, yeah, I just, that, that's great, but, 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 but 2 Corinthians 4.18 says not to focus on the scene. And that's what I feel like I'm doing. God's calling me to really focus on the unseen. I think this is where he wants me to plug in to really leverage some gifts that he's given me. And that was 10 years ago. So the power of the first yes. And then little did I know what God was going to do in through and around that yes. Man, I love that. It's so, and, and, and your obedience impacts more than just you. You know, I try to tell church all that. Your obedience to God impacts more. And you see that, you know, and uh, the impact on these young men and um, the impact on us. So what do you want your legacy to be, Drew? I mean, at the end of your days, what, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, at the, at the end of it all, I would pray, you know, if, if I was sitting up here and, and you were having a memorial service thinking yeah. about my life, I, I would just, I would hope that somebody would say, uh, one, he loved the Lord. Mm-hmm. He was sold out. Um, that he, he felt that in every aspect of his life. It wasn't just for show. It wasn't just compartmentalized, but it literally overflowed everything that he did, said, and the way that he lived. Um, and then I, I would hope that you would say he loved his wife, mm. you know, that, that it started there, that, 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 that you could tell that tearing his relationship was unique and different um, and that he loved his kids. Um, I would hope that each of my five kids felt like their dad was there for them, that he was present, that he was a part of their life, that they felt encouraged, um, that, that, that he had left behind a way to do life that they could pass on generationally to their kids and to, you know, the way that they'll do life. 
And then ultimately that, the, that, you know, back to leave it better than you found it kind of mentality that the world was a better place, um, you know, whether it was at CPA or Brentwood or Nashville or beyond, um, that because he lived in it, ultimately it was better than the way that he found it. Man, that's great. I love that. Pick up the trash. Pick up the trash. Pick, you know, that's something so easy, you yeah. know, but so hard to do. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting that all, all the ones you said, you know, that he loved God, that he loved his wife, he loved his kids. You know, it wasn't how much money I made, no. how much success, or how much notoriety I had. And yet we fall for that. It's that golden calf like you were talking about in sports and everything else. It seems like we drive that. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the only person in the course of history that I've ever heard tried to be buried with his with his, with the gold and the riches of his day was Alexander the Great. Mm. And uh, if you go back and read history, he, he had a couple of requirements of the way that he wanted to be buried. He only wanted the best doctors to carry his, his coffin. He wanted the gold to be surrounded around his tombstone. But through the rest of time, even those that have made billions of dollars, at the end of the day, when somebody stands up and talks about your life, they want somebody to talk about relationships and a cause. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not, it has a zero bearing on what they have done and accumulated and the, and the worth that they, that they achieved. Yeah. Wow. All right. Give us, give us two takeaways. So, I mean, we're called to be spiritual leaders today. We're in a culture of sports. We're in a culture of money. We're trying to raise kids. Give us a couple of takeaways. What would you say? I would say, you know, one would be, um, and I'm going to come back to it, pick up the trash. Mm, you know, start to view the world that every single interaction I have um, has been ordained. Yeah. Whether it's one-on-one or me in front of a group or me in front of a sales call or whatever God's calling me to today, that I start to view it that way, that this matters yeah. right now. What is in this moment matters because maybe eternity's tied, tied to it mm. for that person that I'm speaking to and that you would start to view the world that way. So pick up the trash would be one. Wow. That would be an easy one to, that, that everybody can remember. Yeah. So leave people, places, and things better than you found it. And then my, my, the next statement would be, God's calling you to the next level. Mm. And what does that look like for you? Really begin to pray what that looks like in your life, that God's calling you higher. Whatever you think is going on in your life right now, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, God's even calling you to the next level. He wants to change your mindset. He cares so much about you and he loves you so very much. He doesn't want to leave you where you are, but he's calling you for a purpose and a specific call and that you need to go to the next level and you have the total capability within your being to go to the next level that God's calling you to be at. Praise God. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Well, Drew, we got a couple of questions, I think, for you. Okay. Drew, we've got a couple questions that came in first. You know, I've got to pay attention because I've got a page full of notes here. So, um, Question one, how do you keep a balance between sports and church so athletics don't become an idol? Ooh. Yeah, it, it's, that's, the, that's the toughie, right? Yeah. I mean, even to this day, this is all great, and I'm up here saying these wonderful things, but on a Friday night when I get between the lines with the scoreboard on, that, that trigger of that animal from times past can come into being, you know, and so um, it's tough. I mean, it is tough and it's something that I still battle against every day. So um, it's just back to the, the, back to the point that for so long I'd lived my life tied up, my heart was bound up, that it was tied to the performance of how what I achieved mattered, um, what I accumulated mattered, Mm -hmm. um, what I accomplished mattered. And so, you know, the sad part to that, Jeff, was uh, as a coach, I started to do tie my worth to how 15 to 18 year olds performed. Yeah. And how sad is that, you know, and just starting to realize that I was putting my junk 
into the mix. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, I wasn't releasing them from ultimately what God's calling them to, which is freedom. Yeah. And so uh, it's tough, um, but I have great people around me. I have a great minister that is mm-hmm. ministers that have invested in me, that have poured mm-hmm. into me. Um, I have great friends. I have guys yeah. like Randy Heron that invest yeah. in me every Thursday morning. I still have accountability groups. Mm-hmm. I do Bible studies mm-hmm. with group of men, mm-hmm. um, with our coaching staff. And then, you know, the other thing that we do at our school um, is Manhood Mondays. And this is really special and it, it's so g- good for me because I'm really talking to myself first, but we wrote a curriculum kind of based on John Eldridge and Joe yeah. Ehrman and all of these guys. And so we even take time away from the practice floor on Mondays to really set in motion what really matters. Um, and so we talk about what it means to be a man in the 21st century, what it means to be a man and swim upstream against a culture that's mm. telling you what a man means. And um, so we do all of those elements and are really intentional at budgeting our time to make sure we're setting those priorities forth. That's awesome. Hey, I just want to piggyback on that too. How do you, you know, now you're having more travel teams and now you're having, you know, a lot of teams that play on Sundays yeah. and, you know, Wednesday nights, and it used to be kind of those were yep. sacred times, you yep. know, and sports stayed away from that. But it seems like now, how, how as dads and parents do we avoid that and keep church and Christ a priority in the midst of, you know, well, we've got this travel team and I'm yeah. gone for the next eight weeks yeah. and, you know, and then you, you feel disconnected and you're like, well, you haven't been, you know, yeah. How, yeah. Do, how do you do that? You know, it, that, that is tough. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, we, we are fortunate. We have a huge youth program right now. Yeah. I mean, I would love to talk once again to anybody about our approach and our mentality, but we start with a top-down approach. So when I meet with parents and when we present the mission statement of what our youth program is about, it kind of centers on making sure that the coach is mission aligned with the purpose that we feel uh, of youth sports. And so on Sundays within our program, Mm -hmm. it is a mandate Mm -hmm. that before your first game that that coach lead a Bible study Mm -hmm. that is is for the kids and Mm -hmm. the parents are invited. Every single night at practice, you know, there, there is prayer time and there's a thought for the day and it could be a verse or it could be, you know, some sort of an anecdote yeah. or it could be a John Wooden quote and the coach is going to flush out what that means to them uh, there. And then, you know, like last night I had 225 kids over at Franklin Fieldhouse at our youth program on a Wednesday night. And before we start anything, you know, I meet, I meet on center court with all of those and we, and we give a scripture. Mm-hmm. We talk about what that means and how does that apply right now to them, you know, in that moment of getting to play youth sports, but then even beyond that, what does that look like as they enter their schools, um, their homes, or where they play? Yeah, that's, that's so good. I'm glad. But it's hard because, like yeah. you said, they feel disconnected with the church. And yeah. so I, I, I go through that as well because I coach on Sundays yeah. uh, during the springtime as well. And mm-hmm. so I feel that as well. But it's just being intentional and just mm-hmm. making sure that, um, you know, your, your family which the church is an extension of your family is going gonna, is gonna to spell love, T-I-M-E. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to figure out ways that if maybe it is a Sunday morning miss, mm-hmm. but you're being very intentional on where you can budget some time to make sure that you're, you're serving, you're encouraging, and also you're being poured back into. Yeah, that's, I think that's, it's going to get bigger too, yeah. right? Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Another question? Yeah, we've got two more, um, maybe time for one more here. So let's okay. jump to the third one here. You're on the front lines of raising a next generation of godly men. What are the biggest challenges and pitfalls facing the class of 2016? The biggest pitfalls for, I, I could barely hear, but. Uh, uh, biggest what, challenges and pitfalls facing 2016. Because you're on the front lines of raising up the godly men, next generation of godly yeah. men. 
Well, the, the biggest challenge we face is this right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, it, wow. you know, just um, all that that brings, mm. it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, it, yeah. I, you know, we don't really understand it because it's their normal. It's our new normal. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't understand all the pressures and challenges that that entails. But that would be the first thing is just getting them to understand um, the acceptance around their devices. Um, you know, the, the Snapchat, the Instagram, oh, the, 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 the Twitter, the group messaging. I mean, it's crazy yeah. what goes on. I, I would say over the last four years, um, 90% of the problems that I've had to encounter in our office that required discipline was built around social media. Wow, 90%. No, I would say nine out of 10 cases. Um, you know, something inappropriate, yeah. uh, something, some bullying incident, maybe yeah. it was done with a cyber attack. You, yeah. you just never know. And yeah. so I think that's the ultimate challenge. But I think it's just, it's back to um, the other part that we're, we're getting a generation to understand that their worth is not tied to their performance mm-hmm. uh, on the ball field and specifically in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can treat women with dignity and with respect. Mm. We're, we have a homecoming dance coming up in two weeks, so we'll do a whole thing. I'll invite mothers in to even talk about what that means with our players. Um, just getting them to change their mindset of understanding kind of that next level vision of how you should respect your date and mm-hmm. all those elements as well. Um, and, th- and then ultimately that their athletic performance does not dictate you know, that they're somehow better of a person, uh, that we're not in this compare and compete world. Yeah. We're in a leverage and elevate world. We're trying to leverage everybody around us. We're trying to elevate every single person we interact with. I love that. Well, Drew, thank you. I mean, you are, I mean, you talk about being on the front lines of, of raising up spiritual leaders and you're there and uh, we all are, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we have this call to raise up spiritual leaders in our home and uh, to raise up the next generation and we're, we're praying for you. We're well, cheering you. you on, brother. You. You know? come, come to a game this year. Hey, we will. I Let's want you to come. I Everybody to can come to a CBA game. I'd love, I would love to. to see you in our gym. I'd love so. to. Let me pray for yes, us. And then you. Thomas, I know you got a couple of things. Father, thanks for today. God, thank you for Drew. God, I just pray that you would continue to anoint him with your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would fuel him, Father, for your name and for your glory, God. Thank you for all of us here today, God. And those watching, um, Father, I just pray that we would be men after your heart, that we would be godly husbands, that we would be godly fathers, that we would keep our priorities straight. And Lord, we, we face these challenges in this world and it becomes all about money or sports. And, and Father, our worth so many t- times is tied to that. And God, just to hear Drew say, pick up the trash, you know, <laughs> and how can we leave each situation better? How can we, Father, pour in and, and, and our relationship with you, where it starts, and our relationship with our wife, and our relationship with our kids, and then everybody that we meet. And so, God, thank you for today. God, my heart has been encouraged and challenged and strengthened. I'm ready. I'm excited, Father. And I just thank you for Drew and use him, God, for your glory. Thanks for today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you again, Jeff. Great. Thanks, uh, Drew, again for today. That was fantastic. Um, we're trying to give a reference, uh, uh, some resource for men every week, a book or some reading, outside reading that could uh, kind of speak to what we talked about today. So today's book, uh, and we'll give it away, we'll do a drawing here in a second, is by George Barna. And it's an interesting concept. He kind of he takes, uh, takes a, a look at how to raise children to become spiritually strong adults by starting by studying 
the adults and then working back and saying what impact did their parents have on their lives that we can kind of model in our own kids. So kind of that reverse, um, reverse engineering concept. So really good read. We're going to give that away in a second. I want to encourage you to attend next week. We're going to have Chris Dolberry here. Uh, he's a director at Lifeway Men. He's going to be talking about issues that men face. And so it'll be a good time to hear from him and what they're seeing at Lifeway and specifically in the men's department about what are the issues that men are facing today. Uh, so that'll be at uh, breakfast will be at 630. We'll get going at seven o'clock. We'll have you out by 745. Hope to see you next week. Thanks.